Hey, everybody. What's up? It's me, Leah, by myself. Technically, uh, I'm standing right here. Technically, Michelle's standing right here. Should I be, like, more middle since it's just me? Maybe. Should I line myself up over here? Um, hi, guys. Welcome to Resistance Checks. <laughs> We're going to talk about God judging the nations and getting, our, and getting gonna, us and lined gonna, up. I'm going to go make dinner. Getting us all lined up with the will of God so that we don't suffer uh, the, the fate of, you know, a nation's past. Tracy says, that's a pretty cool opening I made for you. <laughs> it is a pretty cool opening. It better be awesome. It better be awesome, that's Michelle. It better be worthy of the opening, right? Okay, so I'm going to start off pretty hot here tonight. And I hope you've got your seat buckles on because we're going to go zero to 100 pretty quick. We were just, we're hot off the heels of an interview with Liberty Warrior Nation. He's got like 100 different YouTubes because YouTube keeps kicking him off. Uh, he keeps creating new ones. That interview will air probably Friday or Saturday. And in it, I was telling him about a revelation I got today. And he said, well, and it really hit him. And I was like, well, if it hit you that hard, then maybe it'll hit everybody else that hard. And last night, Michelle and I and Matt and Uncle Jack, we thought we would educate ourselves with a BBC feature film from like the early, from like the 90s or something. I don't know. And so it looked pretty educational, and it was based uh, during the 1700s. I know the time was like the Revolutionary War. Not recommended. Not recommended. <laughs> um, it has some not-so-great parts in it. But I, I, it can't be, it could not be made again today. And I actually, it started out with kind of like a Christian flair to it. It had a um, parson. A parson was were the preachers of the day, and the parson, the word parson, name parson comes from parsonage. So this is it's six, this is a British film with British citizens, and they're on their way to Australia. So it takes place on a ship, and this parson is not looked well upon because when you're on a ship, there's a lot of a lot of the captains were atheists and. Um, Certainly, a lot of the sailors don't take kindly to Christianity. And so he was not in an elevated position, this part, this parson, this preacher. But there was a woman, and she wanted to have some Sunday services. And so the main character, Benedict Cumberbatch, Batch's character, he decides that they're going to hold a service. And the captain doesn't want him to hold the service. It was against the captain's orders to hold a service. And so the captain made sure the ship went back and forth during the service and they're all flying all over the places. They're singing these hymns. Um, but he gave, the person gave his service and he kind of became the para of the ship to where the, um, the people, the, the sailors on the ship wanted to kind of make fun of him or mock him. And they did and it was, it was pretty horrendous the way they did it, almost like a hazing. And they got him drunk. And in a, in a, in a kind of a long story without explaining too explicitly um, what happened, there was a homosexual act committed by him or against him on the ship. And during that time, 
it was called buggery and buggery homosexuality was um, a hanging offense during during the 1700s and I guess especially on a ship and a woman on the ship when she was talking about it they were making fun of the parson some people kind of knew about what had happened uh, it was it's really not sure whether it was done to him what was happening he was obviously drunk well the parson went to bed after he came out drunk and everybody was laughing at him and he wouldn't come out of his room and he wouldn't come out of his room and he wouldn't come out of his room and he died. And basically the, the assumption at the end and kind of the conclusion is that he died of shame, 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 shame. And this movie couldn't be made again uh, to have homosexuality or something done to you like that or you partake in that to be so shameful that you would just die. And the Lord began to speak to me that we don't have shame in this nation anymore. That shame is a good emotion and shame leads us to the goodness of God. You should be ashamed of yourself. Um, uh, have you no shame? These are words that we don't say anymore. I have a relative who had, who was a very strong supposed Christian who led the, um, who led a church choir, who just was always in ministry, trying, you know, always talking about being a Christian. And she had an affair on her husband who was with a man who was married. And then they married and she thinks that she's right before God. And the line would be, have you no shame? Have you no shame? Do you know no shame? And with the American church and the Western church, um, you see over in uh, England, specifically now, if you say things against LGBT, then you are shamed and you are brought up on charges. Before, if, you know, um, there was a case where there was buggery happening uh, in George Washington's camp and he kicked them out of the military. Now, if you say anything against things that used to be shameful, then you are shamed. It's in, it's inverted. And Michelle said something, shame is the guardrails of a moral society. It keeps us from going over the cliff to where now we have the drag queen story hours to where if you talk about them, then you're shamed. Whereas a man putting on makeup and a dress and prosthetics, that's shameful. Or it used to be shameful. If you were caught wearing women's underwear, now you're, it's shameful. And there was an Italian ad that I didn't share, and it was for whiskey. And um, in it, there was an old man that kept, uh, that kept secretly putting on makeup. And long story short, at the end of the show, he gives this makeup, makeup to his grandson and it's supposed to be this beautiful, wonderful family moment where the parents of the grandson are crying because the grandfather was learning how to put on makeup so that he could put makeup on his grandson who was transgender and suddenly, you know, but beforehand when you're watching this old man put on makeup and, and, and try to be a girl, you're like, that is shameful. And we have a society that knows no shame. 
And I know this uh, might um, rub you guys the wrong way, but listen, this is true. Donald Donald Trump Jr., Don Jr., he left his wife of five children for um, a Fox News host who is very beautiful, who used to be married to Gavin Newsom, and he's not even married to her. That is shameful. That is shameful. And if we continue to try to take down these left-wing woke people, and we are 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 still going along with things that are shameful, then we are actually bringing on the judgment of God on our nation. And I was reading in the Founders Bible today, and you all should have a copy. You can use promo code Resistance Chicks. Um, the major discount gets passed on to you guys. It's 20% off at uh, thefoundersbible.com. I keep hitting this microphone. Um, and so I was reading in there, and I was reading an, um, an Obadiah. And what's really cool about this Founders Bible is that Brad Cummings, and he's a friend of ours, he, he kind of put it together with David Barton. What he'll do is he'll put things like um, the judgment of nations, a sobering reality, in the midst of Obadiah, where... A scripture goes along with something in the American Revolution or something that pertains to the founding of America. That's what's called the Founder's Bible. So I'm going to read the book of Obadiah. It's like the shortest book in the Bible or something. Um, it's only 21 verses. The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a report from the Lord and an envoy has been sent among the nations saying, Arise and let us go against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you. You who live in the clefts of rocks, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be ruined. Would they not steal only until they had enough? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some of the gleanings? Oh, how Esau has been rans will be ransacked and his hidden treasures searched out. All the men allied with you will send you forth to the border and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who eat your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Taman, so that everyone may cut off from, be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. Because of violence to your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever. On the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you too were as one of them. You did what they did. Do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune, and do not rejoice over the sons of Judah. In the day of their destruction, yes, do not boast in the day of their distress. 
Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster. Yes, you do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster and do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Do not stand at the fork of the road to cut down their refugees, their fugitives, and do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. For, and this is the title, this is the main scripture. The day of the Lord draws near on all of the nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head because just as you drank on my holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. They will drink and swallow and become as if they had never existed. But on Mount Zion, there will be those who escape and it will be holy. And the house of Jacob will possess their possessions. Then the house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau will be as stubble and they will set them on fire and consume them so that there will be no survivor of the house of Esau for the Lord has spoken. Then those of Negev will possess the mountain of Esau and those of Shephela, the Philistine plain, also possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria and Benjamin will possess Gilead and the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel who are among the Canaanites as far as um, Zarephath, the exiles of Jerusalem who are in, uh, Ser Ser uh, sorry, it's biblical names, Sephrod will possess the cities of Negev. Deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. And it's the, the scriptures that they wanted to point out were shame, that the day of the Lord draws near on the nations. Now, there are many days of the Lord, and we have to understand that when we're talking about, and we put things into like an end times perspective, that God is constantly judging the nations. And we bring this up all the time that Abraham Lincoln believed that the civil war, and it's, this is in his second inaugural address, was the judgment of God on America for the sin of slavery. And there was another guy who, who kind of, who believed this as well. And I wanted to um, bring him up. His name was founding father, Martin Luther. And he actually what he believed that God would judge the nation for slavery is what I, I mean to say that there is a national accountability to God. And this was an object of discussion during the constitution in 1787 at the constitutional convention, the subject of slavery was brought up and most states really wanted to abolish it, but there are a few that didn't. And when you look at the house and what we went through, you have to know that there are those in the house that would not have abolished slavery and they're not the people that you think, okay? Because slavery right now we see are through mandates, through forced uh, taxes. Those things are slavery. And what party um, are, are doing those things? What party uh, and what neocons or neoliberals are pushing for war in Ukraine. And so there's a founding father. His name is Martin Luther. He was a slavery opponent from Maryland. And he, what, what's going on? So thank you to Paula in the chat. It's not working. No, everything's working just fine. But I am very sad to say that Leah and I are not going to ever get to do our interview with Diamond and Silk like I always wanted to because Diamond passed away today. Oh, wow. Wow. So I just wanted to come down here and confirm Donald Trump just tweeted out about it on truth. Did we say what happened to her? 
He didn't say. I didn't do any other research other than confirming that she had passed away. And I know this is a big bummer for what you're, but I like, Paula just put it in the chat. And I kind of feel like, you know, perhaps God had you do this video. I don't even know how that would tie into all of this. But I will tell you guys this, that what Leah and I have been seeing consistently is, and I'll just leave you with this to, to do your show. It's real, it's real deal time right now. Okay, so Michelle and I were having a discussion that God's judgment is coming upon America. And I know that we have not seen God judging us. And we've not, we, you know, there's like good people. And I want to tell you guys something that. The judgment of God is not what we think it is. And it's not just on bad people. The judgment of God must first begin at the house of the Lord. And we were having a discussion on holiness and righteousness. And Michelle has a teaching on sin and sickness. And it is really important that we keep ourselves in the word of God, in his power, in his presence. It's not enough to say that we're a Christian and to go and do those things that are sinful. If you have the most dangerous place to be, quite honestly, is one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity or one foot fighting the deep state and, and, and still being and, and still in sin. And this is the time right now when I would say to a Don Jr. who had an affair on his wife, you better leave this woman that you're with and go back to your wife because God's judgment is coming on people. And you need to start reading the word of God to see what is holiness and what is righteousness. And this is not for me to come and pick apart everybody and to make you um, afraid those of you who are in the word of God, who know him, you will be found safe under his wing. Um, but there were people who held slaves and there were people who went along with slavery and they felt that they were safe, but they were not safe. And founding father, Martin Luther, not the Martin Luther that in Germany, he was a slavery opponent from Maryland. And he unequivocally declared it ought to be considered that national crimes can only be and frequently are punished in this world by national punishments and that the continuance of the slave trade and thus giving it a national sanction and encouragement ought to be considered as justly exposing us to the displeasure and vengeance of him who is equally Lord of all and who views with equal eye the poor African slave and his American master. Virginian delegate George Mason similarly pointed out, as nations cannot be rewarded or punished in the next world, so they may be in this world by an inevitable chains of causes and effects. Providence punishes national sins by national calamities and COVID is a national calamity and it's here to affect all of us. Not those just those who were jabbed, but those who were unjabbed. Um, it's here to damage hearts and families and bodies. And I'm going to tell you something. It's not just enough to have ivermectin on hand and all these different things, which you should have on hand and go to my go-to doc and get their stuff and have them on hand. 
But what we saw is a guy that may have been injured by a jab, Damar Hamlin, and he died playing football. But God brought him back to life. And I know another woman, her name is Sandra Martin Hicks, Sandra Martin Hicks, and she went uh, to film over in Africa, um, one of Heidi Baker's missionaries. Um, and on that, she got in an accident and she pretty much died or almost died. And she put everybody, everybody was on a prayer chain for her 24 seven. And the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man avail much. And I'm going to say this to a Donald Trump and I'm going to say this to Matt Gates, and I'm going to say this to everybody else. We can't just pretend like we're Christians anymore. We need to get into a place where we ask God to cleanse us up, to have shame, shame for things that if lying, cheating, stealing, sexual sins, sleeping around, lust, perversion, pornography. And then we go to our God, our Savior, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and we ask his forgiveness, but we don't go back to it. And in that, I'm, we don't walk in condemnation because when you're cleansed from sin, then you can go and take down sin. Jesus didn't say, judge not um, lest you be judged. He says, and, and just, and leave it at that. He says, lest that judgment come upon you. And so if we are judging the left, if we are judging um, these school boards for these hideous school books that they're putting out for kids to write, to, to read, Judge not lest you be judged. And we have to know, we have to take the log out of our own eye. And then we will see clearly to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. And so we're in a moment right now where we need to call those things that are shameful, shameful. And we need to be able to allow God to show us the areas of our lives that might be shameful so that we can be protected by him. And I will be praying for Silk's family. And I do believe that this probably ties in because she was on the front line. And there are, we are, we're, we're, she's a casualty of this fight. And God blessed Diamond and Silk who fought fervently for us. And we need to pick up her sword and keep fighting forward for this nation. And I know that she would probably say the same things for holiness and for righteousness. I know she, they had Dr. Zelenko on. I know they did so many great shows and they were on the front line and they were heavily attacked. And I don't think they had enough prayer cover, honestly. We need to be praying for each other. We need to surround each other in prayer. And how come I didn't know that she even needed prayer? The whole world knew that Damar Hamlin needed prayer. And that is the fault of our um, social media system where what if we could have saved her if we had known to pray for her? I didn't even know to pray for her. So God, I'll take a moment and lift up Silk, Diamond and Silk's family. I pray that she is with you right now. I pray that your healing will be upon her home and upon her family and upon her children and upon her husband. I pray that it will be like she's not gone, that she's still with us, that you take her soul and that you continue on the work that you called her to do, that you receive her in heaven and that you comfort her sister, you comfort her whole family and that they, they can see her in heaven with you and that she continues on that 
that work because when we die, we don't die. And I know that she knew Jesus as her person, Lord and Savior. And so I pray, Father God, that she will now be counted among the great cloud of witnesses and we will pick up whatever calling she has, that the rest of us will pick it up and that she, her death would not be in vain. In Jesus' name, in the army of the Lord. And everyone said, Amen. So these two delegates who talked about nations cannot be rewarded or punished, uh, as nations cannot be rewarded or punished in the next world, so they must be in this. See, we can be rewarded or punished in the next world, but nations can't. By an inevitable chain of causes and effects, providence punishes national sins by national calamities. These two reminded the others that public policies have spiritual consequences and directly brought either God's blessings or judgment upon a nation. And notice their specific point that judgment or blessing for nations occurs in this world. Signer of the Declaration Samuel Adams, the father of the American Revolution, agreed, affirming, the Bible in Revelation assures us that righteousness exalts a nation, Proverbs 14.34. Communities are dealt with in this world by the just and wise ruler of the universe. He rewards or punishes them according to their general character. And I know that there's a huge evangelical movement of Christianity in Brazil. But I would say this to Brazil. If you're evangelical community, Brazil is known to be the cosmetic um alteration capital of the world for chest enhancements and liposuction and beautiful women. And I'm telling you, if you are, you are not going to route out socialism by just saying we don't want to be socialists. Okay. You need to get holy and get righteous and recognize that, that living for your body to be perfect or to have chest implants or liposuction or to be, you know, in a beautiful bikini on the beach, you're not, that may feel like you're going on fine, but we've, we've passed that now. You can't be that kind of person now. And this is what I'm going to tell Donald Trump and to all, everybody right now, we can't be those people anymore. It worked for a while, but God is saying, God is like taking off the training wheels, right? And he's like, okay, guys, I got your attention. Now you've got to really walk according to this path. Um, and show me that you really want to walk in righteousness and holiness. Um, we had days of prayer and fasting for a reason because we knew that if things weren't going right, um, then God was judging us. And for a long time, we've been able to hold that off with fiat dollars and credit cards. But it's coming a day when we're all going to need to fast and pray. And I don't want to make you afraid because the good news is if you are truly relying on God, then no matter what comes against you, he is going to take care of you and he is going to bless you. And he can actually do miracles that you can't do. And so like for Donald Trump, he has so much money. He doesn't need God to do a miracle. He needs to get to a place where he's trusting God for a miracle. And I've seen Donald Trump swear and drop the F-bomb. And I have to say that God can still use people like that, but he can't he can't shall blessing and cursing come out of the same tree. Okay. You get to a place where God holds you, starts to hold you accountable. If you are calling yourself a Christian, you're saying God's on your side. Okay. Then you need to start acting like it. We need to start acting like it. There's a story in Elijah in first Kings 18 and 19. Elijah won a dramatic confrontation with the prophets of the false God Baal. And we all talk about Baal all the time. 
at the, at the top of Mount Carmel. And he went to Mount Orb where he complained to God. He said, I am the only one here who serves you. And God said, no, 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 no. I've held back 3,000 people or 7,000 7, uh, um, faithful people, other righteous individuals who have not bowed their knee to Baal. Yet during that time, there was a national drought that even the 7,000 had to go through and go under. Ahab and Jezebel were the nation's leaders, and because of the wickedness of their national policies, the entire population, including that 7,000, were being judged collectively. Um, at King David in 1 Chronicles 21, there was a ton of um, military victories that David had enjoyed, but Satan got, um, he got David to ask for a number of the troops and the general Joab, David's military com commander knew that that action would actually bring guilt upon Israel. And he actually said, please don't do this. I'm not going to do this. And David um, said, no, you, I want you to number these people. Joab knew that God was the true source of Israel's strength and for their victories, not the size of the army or their military prowess. So numbering the troops would be an arrogant aff affront to God. And when we begin to look at our numbers and our wealth, and count what we can do rather than rely on God, then God actually will judge us. And so David did not listen and he demanded a count of the troops, a public policy position that essentially declared, God, you haven't won the victories I have. David's numbering the troops was evil inside the Lord, so he, God struck Israel. When David realized he had acted foolishly, he confessed to God. He said, I have sinned greatly, asking God to take away his iniquity. God offered David three options, three years of famine, three months of being swept away by the sword of his enemies, or three days of the sword of the Lord bringing pestilence on the land, and the angel of the Lord destroying throughout all of Israel. The choice left to was left to David. Though greatly distressed over what he would have done, knowing the heart of God, he said, let me fall into the hand of the Lord for his mercies are great, but do not let me fall into the man hand of the enemy. So the Lord sent a pestilence and, on Israel and 70,000 men fell and God sent an angel to Jerusalem to de destroy it. But as he was about to destroy it, the Lord saw and was sorry over the calamity and said to the destroying angel, it is enough. Now relax your hand. Whatever we may, think, we may think, the reality is that David's folly, knowingly acting in defiant arrogance, refusing to heed his general's warning, choosing rather to dishonor God and his willful disobedience to number Israel, brought judgment upon the entire nation, decimating the very thing about which he so foolishly was boasting about his army. So even though David was a righteous king, he acknowledged his sin, he repented and chose to put himself in the hands of the merciful, just God. His unrighteous public policy resulted in national consequences, bringing calamity upon even the many righteous in the nation. That is a sobering reality not to be dismissed. National judgments directly or indirectly touch everyone in the nation, whereas judgments on individuals are limited to the smaller sphere of that individual. The founding fathers were cognizant of the difference and therefore routinely acknowledged the principle of national accountability. As when President George Washington reminded the nation in his first inaugural address, the favorable smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the eternal rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained. Benjamin Franklin similarly admonished delegates of the Constitutional Convention and have we now forgotten the powerful friend, God? Or do we imagine we no longer need his assistance? 
Without his concurring aid, we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to fewer to future ages. And Michelle made a really good observation that nobody in Congress got on their knees and collectively asked for who God would want as Speaker of the House. We will have national calamities. God is, his patience runs thin. When Abraham Lincoln was talking about the Civil War being God's punishment for slavery, he said, I tremble to believe that God is just and his justice does not sleep forever. I know this sounds a little bit crazy, but God's justice is waking up. God's justice is waking up and we will all be caught up in it. And so I implore all of you to find yourself safe in the harbor under the wings of the almighty God, walking in holiness and righteousness. It is not your holiness and righteousness that will save you. But when we have one foot in the world and one foot in, in, in God, and we know what's right and we do what's wrong, right now God's patience is, is running out. The time, the clock is running out for us to truly turn and repent and to seek him. You know, speaking of a speaker of the house, I read about an interesting man. His name was John Hart. He was born in 1711 and he died in 1779. He actually lived a pretty long life, but at the end of his life, in the years leading up, he was a speaker of the house. That's why I want to bring him up. In the years leading up of the New Jersey, of the, in the years leading up to the American Revolution, Hart served in the New Jersey colonial legislature and had an extended judicial career being known as Honest John. As the revolution approached, he was sent as a delegate to the Continental Congress, where he signed the Declaration of Independence and then became the first Speaker of the House of, New, of the New Jersey Assembly. And then, um, because of his prominent leadership role, he was targeted by the British and forced to flee his estate and the bedside of his dying wife as British troops closed in. Although 68 years old at the time, he spent the next year living in the forest, evading British capture, reportedly never spending two nights in a row in the same location, often sleeping under creek banks, in the boughs of trees, and even in, a do in dog houses, as British troops were searched, searched for him. When he returned home a year later, he found that his wife was dead, his 13 children scattered, and his estate pillaged. He died shortly thereafter, uh, not only from the bodily hardship he had endured the previous year, but also from the deep sorrow over his family. When we talk about revolution, when we talk about God moving, we talk about the system changing, there will be casualties of war. And I do believe that Diamond and Silk, they're casually of that war, that they were on the front lines and the devil was after them. May we pray for one another. May we help one another. May we lift one another up, especially those that you know are on the front lines who are doing podcasts. You know, you think it's great to have a bunch of followers, but actually you're safer if you have less. Because if you have a bunch and people know who your name, who you are, you have a target on your back. And there is a time when you have a target on your back and the Bible talks about living holy and righteous. The devil walks about seeking whom he may destroy. And if you are making headway against what he's doing, he's going to come after you. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We don't battle with flesh and blood. We're not actually battling a Nancy Pelosi or a Chuck Schumer.
We're battling the evil behind that. And the only way we do that is with the power and the love of God and being filled with his spirit. Comprehending the principle of national accountability, many founding fathers understood that permitting slavery could bring God's judgment on the entire country. Signer of the Declaration, Benjamin Rush, a national abolition leader, reminded us and the citizens of the time, Remember that national crimes require national punishments. And without declaring what punishment awaits this evil, slavery, you may venture to assume them, the slaveholders, that it cannot pass with impunity, exemption from punishment, unless God cease to be just or merciful. You know, we see what's happening with kids in schools, and we know what's happening with abortion, and we see what's happening with the fiat dollar. Guys, these will be national judgments on all of us. Well, I didn't have an abortion. doesn't matter. These are national punishments on a nation. And you know, when everybody took a knee for DeMar Hamlin, it was Republicans and Democrats. We're going to get to this place where we all are going to take a knee. And we're all going to ask God to save this nation together. Thomas Jefferson, specifically on slavery, warned his countrymen. He said, and, and this was what um, Abraham Lincoln was quoting, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and his justice cannot sleep forever. Jefferson, did you know Jefferson was a lifelong opponent to slavery despite what everybody tells you? Oh, they own slaves. Actually, both he and Washington uh constantly promoted um, and per pursued legislation that would outlaw slavery in Virginia, but they were constantly struck down and the King of England wouldn't allow them to do that. Um, Washington was allowed to free his slaves and then the law was repealed and then Jefferson couldn't upon his death. Um, he introduced um, measures in both the Virginia legislature and in the national legislature to end slavery, but each failed. Originally, Virginia law allowed slave owners to free slaves at the owner's death. But after George Washington did so at his death in 1799, the Virginia legislature changed the law to prevent other owners from freeing their slaves in a similar manner. Virginia law actually forbade Jefferson from freeing his own slaves, of which he had inherited 187 when he was only a little a young man. Many Virginians had to move out of the state in order to free their slaves. Jefferson remained but steadfastly fought against slavery his entire life. He actually went bankrupt. Uh, Monticello went bankrupt as he was trying to um, make sure that his slaves, uh, the, the slaves on his plantation were treated right. They actually way better than any of you or I ever would. Um, if you haven't been to Monticello, they had whole tracts of land. They had houses. He would pay them for their work. Uh, so they weren't really slaves uh, in that respect. And... Um, he actually um, made an ironwork at the top of a, a very large hill, which was not profitable, but he had um, men there who were very good at working with iron and he wanted them to do something and he wanted them to do something that would produce money for them. And so he had, he lost money everywhere trying to, and so did George Washington actually, because he didn't want to treat people as slaves. After declaring that the Almighty has no attribute which can take side with us in this contest, he said, there's nothing that God could do to take the side of, of people keeping slaves, okay? And that's the same thing with abortion. You could say, I'm not keeping, like I said, I'm not doing abortion. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We allow abortion in this country. 
Our nation is going to be punished and we're all going to get caught up in it. When the measure of their tears shall be full, when their groans shall have involved heaven itself in darkness, doubtless a God of justice will awaken to their distress. We're getting ready to see, and I probably should have titled this, God awakes, the justice of God is waking. The justice of God is waking. A few decades later, the explicit warnings from Mason, Martin, Rush, Jefferson, and so many others about God's judgment on the nation as a result of slavery became reality in the form of the great civil war with the God of justice awakening to their distress. Four years into the war, when Abraham Lincoln delivered his second inaugural address, he specifically lingered on the principle of national accountability. He noted the irony that both pro-slavery and anti-slavery forces prayed to the same God to help their cause. But Lincoln believed that God was beyond responding to any of those prayers, that judgment had been pronounced on the nation and justice would be achieved. As he explained, both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. It may seem strange that any men should dare to ask a just God's assistance in wringing their bread from the sweat of other men's faces. But let us judge not that we be not judged. The prayers of both could not be answered. That of neither has been answered fully. The Almighty has his own purposes. Woe unto the world because of offenses, for it must needs be that offenses come. But woe to that man by whom the offense cometh. Matthew 18, 7. If we shall suppose that American slavery is one of those offenses which in the providence of God must needs come, but which, having continued through his appointed time, he now wills to remove, and that he gives to both North and South this terrible war as the woe due to those by whom the offense came. Shall we discern therein any departure from those divine attributes which the believers in a living God always ascribe to him? Fondly do we hope, fervently do we pray that this mighty scourge of war may speedily pass away. Yet if God wills that it continue until all the wealth piled by the bondmen's 250 years of unrequited toil shall be sunk and until every drop of blood drawn with the lash shall be paid by another drawn with the sword and until as was said 3,000 years ago, so still it must be said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether, dear nations. You are about to see a judgment like you have never seen. You will fear and you will tremble and you will drop to your knees before an almighty God. Young men, old men, children, and even babies will cry out for the mercy of God. And he will grant that mercy, but not before. There will be those who fall. Not just the people you think that will fall, but some of our own. For we are all falling under the judgment of God. We have gone so far away from God. We send our children to schools that are literally sanitized and bleached so that no drop of the word of God shall be spoken in their rooms. Christians, 80% of them, some of them have woken up because of COVID and pulled their children from public schools and some of them send them to the Christian schools. At least they do Bible studies. At least 
the name of Jesus might be allowed to be spoken in these Christian schools, but some of them are so woke that even Christians are caught up in abuses. And I know we, we did an interview with the Gibson girls, Tara and Tanya, and Tara's daughter went to a very well, well-known Christian school with well-known Christian ministers who send their kids to that school. And her daughter made a joke that a black boy acted like a monkey. She didn't know that making that joke could be interpreted as racist because she wasn't racist. It never entered her mind. And a black woman had just become superintendent of the school. And she is known to be writing, to write papers on critical race theory. Yes, a Christian school hired this woman. And they pulled in this young teenage girl, 15 years old. And they said, did you know that what you, you joked about to this young man could be considered racist? And she said, no, I didn't mean as racist. He was, he was, he was um, running up and down on the bleachers and acting like a monkey. Just like you would say if somebody slithered on the floor, he act like a snake. They said, well, even if you didn't mean it that way, and we don't think you mean it that way, and we don't think that you are racist at all, and we don't think your family's racist. In fact, Tara, her parents grew up with a, um, um, a black football player and his wife, and they were best friends. They just grew up no, not knowing any different. Well, even if it's perceived racial um, iniquity, basically, you still have to be suspended for it. We're still going to consider you a racist. And this is consistent in this school all the way down to like second and third grade. Kids are punished for, for things they don't know they're doing wrong. I'm telling you guys. Notice that even after four years into the war, Lincoln still did not believe it would end until every drop of blood drawn with the lash from the back of slaves had been matched by the same amount of blood shed by the sword. In battle, and the nation would pay for what it had done to slaves, and it did. 600,000 lives were lost. The countryside, towns, and homes were ravaged. Lincoln personally witnessed the fulfillment of what so many founding fathers had already warned. God would not bless a policy permitting slavery, and it would eventually result in national judgment being rendered. If we saw a great army coming our way, and we didn't yell and scream and say, Stop, 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 stop. You know, that's what's happening right now with, with abortion. Stop, 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 stop. Citizens today may, must once again become mindful of the divine principle of national accountability. We should look at national policies proposed by our current political leaders and ask, in the light of the principle of national accountability, what will be the result of the proposed policy? Certainly there are many areas where God has not taken a position and so consequently if that policy is enacted, there will be neither rewards nor punishments. But there are many policies that the Bible makes clear are the direct concern of God. The shedding of innocent blood by the taking of lives of the unborn. The rejection of heterosexual marriage as God's established it. And I'm telling you guys, if you're not making a stand on marriage and sexual sin, you're asking for God to come and judge our nation. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Sexual relations are between two married people. For the why did God make two one to protect to to have a godly seed, men balance women women balance men and in a loving marriage where a man loves his wife as Christ loves the church and he lays down his life for her and he wakes up and says how can I serve you because Christ gave an example of being a servant that he washed the feet of his disciples and he said treat your wife this way love her honor her serve her 
Give her everything that she needs. And wives, love and honor your husbands like you would love and honor and serve Christ. And we can do neither for either a husband or a spouse if it goes against the word of God, right? If your husband or wife asks you to do something or pleasing your husband and wife goes against the word of God, then, then loving and honor them is not going against the word of God. Just, just FYI. Taking the private property by government, etc., prohibiting citizens from acknowledging God in public, to consider the inescapable spiritual effect of a political leader's public policy positions is not uh, just a question of idle musings. Those positions can have a direct impact on the quality of life. It's not just politics. Those people in Washington, those people in your state, they're making decisions that could cause God's judgment or his blessings to come upon us. And we, when we, are, we realize that we're dealing with fire, we're going we're to make some different decisions. There are those, a lot of people think this is Old Testament stuff, but Jesus actually is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. He is the same, yes, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 1, 3 tells us if we want to know what God is like, all we need to do is look at Jesus who is the definitive revelation, the radiance of his glory, and the exact representation of his nature. There is no truth to the good cop, bad cop analogy between the Old and the New Testaments. He who has seen me has seen the Father. Hebrews 3, um, uh, John 14, 9. Jesus and the Father are one and the same. John 5, 37. He is our Savior, our Redeemer, and our merciful, loving God. And, repeated and the de repeated description of God is that he is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, who forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. Joel 2.13 and Jonah 4.2 add to that description, relenting of evil, and who relents concerning calamity. But to that very same description, both Numbers 14.18 and Nahum 1.3 clarify that he will by no means clear the guilty or leave the guilty unpunished. So what are we to make of this? Is there national accountability in the New Testament? Yes. Jesus spoke in various places, cities, nations, and that he, Jesus spoke that nations and generations would be judged. In the letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelations, chapter one through three, whole communities are addressed, evaluated like Philadelphia, Thyatira. They are given rewards and promises, warnings of judgment, penalties, and admonitions to repent. As the revelation unfolds, the whole earth is dealt with in glorious and fearful and terrifying ways. Earthquakes, wars, famine, pestilence, wild beasts. Nations rise up against him and are dealt with. However we choose to, you know, I, you guys know probably our position on revelation. But the point is, is that God constantly is doing judgment. In um, the seven churches addressed in Revelation were first century churches. If you read um, 2 Peter 2 through 1 through 10, the reality is, is that we can bring swift destruction upon ourselves. The good news is that the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation, as well as to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. That time frame is very much prior to the end, and that's what he's talking about. In Matthew 23, Jesus is in the temple and he's speaking to the multitudes and he gives a scathing rebuke of the scribes and the Pharisees. The religious leaders were very self-righteous. They were thinking they were doing everything God wanted them to do, but they were woefully wrong. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stoned those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. 
Amazingly, the temple which in which Jesus was standing was built on the very spot where King David stood confessing his sin after he numbered Israel in 2 Chronicles, we just talked about, covered in sackcloth and ashes and among the elders, having fallen on their faces in intercession and they pled for God's mercy. And yet 70,000 men were dead. An angel of the Lord was actually sent there to destroy Jerusalem then. But God turned and repented. He said, I'm not going to do enough is enough. David saw the angel of the Lord standing there by the threshing floor of Ornan and the Jebusite, then standing between the earth and heaven with his drawn sword in his hand stretched out over Jerusalem. So David cries out, is it not I who commanded to count the people? Indeed, I am the one who has sinned. The angel, in fact, was Jesus Christ himself, the pre-incarnate Jesus. And Jesus would stand in that same spot a thousand years later. And he would point to the then Pharisees and Sadducees. And that time, he said, this time, I am going to destroy Jerusalem. And I will destroy the temple. And I'm going to do it in this generation. And he said so. In Matthew 24, he said, in this, this generation shall not pass before all these things come to pass. Not one stone will be laid upon another in that temple. And in AD 70, Rome, the Roman army, surrounded Jerusalem and destroyed it. Not one stone was laid upon another. God's judgment had come to pass. We're in, a, we're in the weighing in the balance of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And we can be like Nineveh, which Jonah was sent to tell the Ninevites to turn and repent. Jonah didn't want them to turn and repent. He wanted them to suffer. Guys, let us not be like Jonah. The people who took the jab, the people on the left, warn them, tell them, God's judgment is coming. Turn, turn and repent, turn and repent. But it's more than just Jonah. It's more than just the Ninevites this time. It's all of us. And it's coming on all of us. What we need is a national revival. The Second Great Awakening brought the, laid, the, laid the foundation for what was happening in the, 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 um, the Civil War. Jefferson noted in his memorandum book, I have subscribed to the building of an Episcopalian church 200 uh, dollars, a Presbyterian church, $60, and a Baptist church, 25 On July 14, 1826, the Boston newspaper Christian Watchman printed an unverified story that Jefferson dined at Monticello prior to the revolution. Airy war with, Revolutionary War with Baptist pastor Andrew Tribble. The story described how Jefferson inquired of Pastor Tribble how Baptist church government worked. Then Jefferson stated that he considered it the only form of pure democracy that exists in the world. It would be the best plan of government of, for the American colonies. As recorded by Julian P. Boyd in the papers of Thomas Jefferson, Jefferson, quote, organized a church. He drafted the subscriptions to support a clergyman in Charlottesville, February 1777. We, the subscribers, desirous of encouraging and supporting the Calvinistical Reformed Church and of deriving to ourselves through the ministry of its teachers, the benefits of gospel knowledge and religious improvement by regular education for explaining the Holy Scriptures, approving highly the political conduct of Reverend Charles Clay, who, early rejecting the tyrant and tyranny of Britain, proved his religion gen genuine 
by its harmonies with the liberties of mankind and conforming his public prayers to the spirit and injured rights of this country ever address the God of battles for the victory of our arms. I am going to have to take a moment and say goodbye to our Brideon viewers because I'm going to air this on Sunday for our, sh our Sunday show. But before I do that, mom's going to come and say something. I have 20 seconds on the Brideon. Uh, it was it wasn't slavery. It was not paying the people gold and silver. The sin wasn't slavery. The sin was they didn't pay these people who worked for them real money. That was the sin of interesting. The well, That's the Bible, the root of all evil is love money. Love money is not paying people. Right. Well, and and grabbing them from their home and stealing right. them. There's actually scriptures about being men stealers. Right. And stealing them to come and and do. What they, and, and goodbye, Brian and hello, I'm back. Um, so Michelle can cut that. When you look at human beings as people that you can extort something from and use them and abuse them and not pay them, they, they stole people from Africa and it could have been from any nation, but they chose Africa because the Africans were helping them steal people because they didn't want to pay, pay a just wage. Also, Rockefeller Ford. Well, yeah. They stole men from their farms. After the sin of slavery, people couldn't just randomly go steal people anymore. So they repackaged the, um, the, the theft of human beings. And they did that in the form of the fiat dollar. And now we're all slaves. We are all slaves. But going back to um, how, we, how do we turn this thing, things around... Um, this is from, and I'm reading this from Miracles in the um, in American History, Volume 2, William Federer. As Virginia's governor, Jefferson wrote in 1779, the Reverend Charles Clay has been many years rector of this parish and has been particularly known to me in the earliest stage of the present contest with Great Britain, while the clergy of the established church in general took the adverse side or kept aloof from the cause of their country, he took a decided and active part of his countrymen and he continued to prove his attachment to the American cause. The Calvinistic Reformed Church ceased meeting when subscribers uh, Philip Mazzy and John Harvey moved away. And when Jefferson, depressed after the wife of his death and several children, sailed off to take Ben Franklin's place as the U.S. ambassador to France in 1783, the religious revival in Virginia continued as part of the, quote, Second Great Awakening. Methodist evangelist Jesse Lee, who traveled a circle of cities, reported in 1787 the circuits that had the greatest revival of religion, including Abermile County, nearly all Baptist and Methodist churches were of mixed races. In 1788, Reverend John Leland, a friend of Jefferson's and pastor of Goldmine Baptist Church of Louisiana, uh, Virginia, personally baptized over 400 people. He wrote in a resolution for the General Committee of Virginia Baptist meeting in Richmond, Virginia, 1789, resolved that slavery is a violent deprivation of rights of nature and inconsistent with a Republican government, and therefore recommend it to our brethren to make every use of le legal measures to uh, extirpate this horrid evil from the land and to proclaim almighty God that our honorable legislature may have it in their power to proclaim a great jubilee consistent with the principle of good policy 
ending slavery was one of, of the great revivals, second revival's main goals. Leland referred to Jubilee as it was in the day on the Hebrew calendar, every 50 years when all the Israelites serving as indentured servants were to be given their freedom. In 1787, Hampton City College in Virginia experienced an awakening which spread across the state. In Charlottesville, attorney William Wirt attended the meetings of Presbyterian Reverend James Waddell, who had been influenced by uh, colonial preacher Samuel Davies. Wirt was appointed by President Monroe as U.S. Attorney General, where he defended the rights of the Cherokee and Indians in Worcester versus Virginia in 1832. Wirt wrote of Waddell's preaching, Every heart in the assembly trembled in unison. The effect was inconceivable. The whole house resounded. In Lee, Massachusetts, Reverend Alvin Hyde reported in 1792, a marvelous work was begun, and it bore the most decisive marks of being God's work. So great was the excitement, though not yet known abroad, that into whatever section of town I now went, the people in that immediate neighborhood would leave their worldly employments at any hour of the day and soon fill a large room. All of our religious meetings were very much thronged and yet were never noisy or irregular. They were characterized with stillness and solemnity, which I believe have rarely been witnessed to the praise of the sovereign grace i may add that the work continued with great regulatory and a little abatement nearly 18 months james madison who was a member of saint thomas parish where reverend james waddle taught exclaimed of him he has spoiled me for all other preaching madison invited presbyterian preachers to speak at his uh, montpelier estate such as samuel Stanhope smith and nathaniel Irvin. Irwin, whom he wrote, praise is in every man's mouth here for an excellent discourse his, he this day preached to us. Methodist Reverend Lorenzo Dow, nicknamed Crazy Dow, traveled over 10,000 miles preaching to over a million people. His autobiography at one time was the best-selling book in America, exceeded only by the Bible. Reverend Lorenzo Dow held a preaching camp meeting near Jefferson's home, writing in his journal on that that on April 17th, 1804, I spoke in Charlottesville near the president's seat in Auburn, County to about 4,000 people and one of the president's daughters, Mary Jefferson Epps, who was present. In the lawless Kentucky frontier, Reverend James McCready and his small church agreed in 1797. Therefore, we bind ourselves to observe the third Saturday of each month for one year as a day of fasting and prayer for the conversions of sinners in Logan County and throughout the world, we also engaged to spend one half hour every Saturday evening, beginning at the setting of the sun, and one half hour every Sabbath morning at the rising of the sun and in pleading with God to revive his work. Hi, I don't mean to interrupt, but people might say, this is boring. Why am I listening to it? What does it have to do with today? And what it is today, hi people, um, is that um, we're fighting the same enemy. UN they put they put together a UN army they put together they put together an IRS army we have an army that's out to get us right now mm -hmm. and so this is relevant how did the founding fathers defeat their enemies you get you need the same fervor of the Holy Spirit right and so what Leah's giving you feeding you my word my body is meat indeed my flesh is food yeah and Jesus is word of God. 
Yeah. And these men, what they speak is from the word of God planted in them. Right. So you're feeding people what they need yeah. to defeat the IRS or defeat right. the UN Army or defeat your enemies you have after you right now. Right. This is very, very relevant. And it's very dangerous. For weapons of yeah. warfare. Yeah. Not guns. I mean, that's ridiculous. Right. You're fighting demonic power men held captive by the devil mm -hmm. who aren't free by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Sorry, guys. Yeah, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. If you guys want to have ammo, I'm giving you ammo. So this is talking about the Second Great Awakening and different camp meetings um, of the, uh, right after the Revolutionary War. In June of 1800, 500 members of Jane McCready's three congregations gathered at the Red River for a camp meeting lasting several days, similar to the 18th century Scottish Holy Fairs, where teams of open-air preachers rotated in a continuous stream of sermons. On the final day of Reverend James McCready's Red River Camp Meeting, a mighty effusion of the Spirit came on everyone, and the floor was soon covered with the slain. Their screams for mercy pierced the heavens. When you see revival, it's not just being slain. It's not being slain in the Spirit where you're just having like a, a, a moment with God. What happens is you come face to face with sin, and you scream for mercy. If you haven't screamed for mercy in a while— then you don't, you've never seen God. I'm telling you, if you think that you've just gone through God, life as a good person and you've never seen yourself for how, how God sees you and what righteousness looks like, you haven't seen him yet. And we're going to see him. And here's the good news. When we see ourselves the way God sees us, sinful, then he can come in and cleanse us. But if we can't see the, 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 the infection, we're never going to get cleaned. It's like we look in the mirror and it's a fake mirror. And when he shows us who we really are, it's like, ah, God, forgive me, change me. And he does. And he puts white robes on us and he makes us clean and he makes us righteous. That is the effect of real revival. When you see people on their face before God screaming out for mercy. That's what we saw when Damar Hanlon hurt himself. We, we, we cried out to God for mercy. In July of 1800, the congregation planned another camp meeting in the Gasp, at the Gasper River. Surpassing their expectations, 8,000 people arrived. 8,000 people from over 100 miles by horseback or walking. The power of God seemed to shake the whole assembly. Towards the close of the sermon, the cries of the distress arose almost as loud as his voice. After the congregation was dismissed, the psalmity increased till the greater part of the multitude seemed engaged in the solemn manner. No person seemed to wish to go home. Hunger and sleep seemed to affect nobody. Eternal things were the vast concern. Here awakening and converting work was to be found in every part of the multitude and even something strangely and wonderfully new to me. On August 7, 1801, though Kentucky's largest city had less than 2,000 people, 25,000 people horseback showed up at a revival meeting at Cane Ridge, Kentucky, arriving from as far away as Ohio, Tennessee, and the Indiana Territory. They heard the preaching of Barton W. Stone and other uh, Baptist, Methodist, and Presbyterian ministers. Reverend Moses Hodge described, nothing that imagination can paint. 
can make a stronger impression upon the mind than one of those scenes. Sinners dropping down on every hand, shrieking, groaning, crying for mercy, convulsed, professors praying, agonizing, fainting, falling down in distress for sinners enraptured or in raptures of joy. As to the work in general, there could be no question that it was of God. The subjects of it, for the most part, were deeply wounded for their sins and can give a clear and rational account of their conversion. Have you had a clear and rational account of your conversion? Have you screamed to God? Have you seen what it is like? I have had those moments. I'm not a murderer. I'm not a thief. But I've seen myself without him. I've seen who I need to be with him. A young man who witnessed the Cane Ridge Revival wrote in 1802, the noise was like the roar of Niagara. Kind of interesting if he had been there. The vast sea of human beings seemed to be agitated as if by a storm. I counted several ministers all preaching at one time. Some on stumps, others on wagons. So, and that's what you can do if you don't have the amplification systems. Get a whole bunch of preachers and you go, some over here, some over here. Some of the people were singing. Others were praying, some crying for mercy. A peculiarly strange sensation came over me. My heart beat tumultuously. My knees trembled. My lips quivered. And I felt as though I must fall to the ground. George Addison Baxker, a skeptical professor at Washington Academy in Virginia, published an account of his travels through Kentucky, printed in the Connecticut Evangelical Magazine, March 1802. The power with which this revival has spread. And its influence in moralizing the people are difficult for you to conceive and more so for me to describe. I found Kentucky to appearance the most moral place I had seen. A profane expression was hardly ever heard. People didn't say curse words. They didn't say bad things. A religious awe seemed to pervade the country because they saw Donald Trump. We are not going to change the world by dropping the F-bomb. That is a mark against us and a mark against our character. We must have a sound mind. We must have a sound body. We must demand of our lead leaders that they be held accountable. But here I'm going to tell you something. You must pray for them that they come face to face with what sin is and what morality is and what holiness is. Never in my life have I seen more genuine, genuine marks of that humility which looks to the Lord Jesus Christ as the only way of acceptance with God. I was indeed highly pleased to find that Christ was all in all in their religion, and it was truly affecting the heart. With what agonizing anxiety awakened sinners inquired for Christ. A revival is always followed by people who have repented and changed. A revival is not people. The Bethel music is great. Oh, I just felt him. No, 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 no. A true revival is when people turn and repent and they're made different. If you walk away from revival and you haven't changed, that wasn't revival. As the only physician who could give them any help, Christ, those who call these things enthusiasm ought to tell us what they understand by the spirit of Christianity. Upon the whole, sir, I think the revival in Kentucky among the most extraordinary that has ever visited the Church of Christ, and all things considered peculiarly adapted to the circumstances of that country, something of an extraordinary nature seemed necessary to arrest the attention of a giddy people who were ready to conclude that Christianity was a fable, a dream. This revival has done it. 
It has confounded infidelity, odd vice to silence, odd vice to silence, meaning it, it, I can't sin. It just stops. And brought numbers beyond calculation under serious impressions. Now, if you're still with me, I'm not reading any comments right now. I'm so, uh, um, cause I can't see them. So I, Michelle, if there are any good comments, you need to let me know. I want to read something to you guys. Um, and I hope that you're still with me. This I picked up. This is called the New England Primer Collection. And if you've heard about the New England Primer, um, this was the New England Primer. It was printed several different times. And it was the basic educational manual that our founding fathers were educated on and their previous generations and generations after them. And it was really filled with Christianity and with the word of God. And so this is from the, the 1690 to 1843. And there are excerpts in here about um, Christianity and how um, important Christianity was and teaching children uh, the word of God. And so here's an example. Let's see if I can't. Okay. So that says spiritual milk for American babies drawn out of the breasts of both testaments for their soul's nourishment by John Cotton. Here's a question. What has God done for you? Answer. God has made me. He keeps me and he can save me. Now, this is, um, I don't know if this one has a date. This, this is 1714 from the New English Tutor. And so in 1714, this is what children would have been taught. And if your children aren't taught things like this in school, not at home, home's home, eight hours, you know, this is what children should be taught all day, every day. Okay, here's another question. What is God? Answer, God is a spirit of himself and for himself. Question, how many gods are there? Answer, there be but one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Question, how did God make you? Answer, in my first parents, holy and righteous. Holy and righteous in my first parents. Question, are you then born holy and righteous? No, my first parents sinned. Well, that was Adam and Eve. And I and them. Are you born a sinner? I was conceived in sin and born in iniquity. What is your birth sin? Adam's sin impugned, imputed to me and a corrupt nature dwelling in me. What is your corrupt nature? My corrupt nature is empty of grace, bent only to sin, only to sin, and that continually. What is sin? Sin is a transgression of the law. How many commandments of the law are there? Ten. What is the first commandment? That we shall have no other gods before me. What is the meaning of this commandment? That we should worship the only true God and no others beside him. What's the second commandment? That you will not make for yourself any graven image. What is the meaning of this commandment? That we should worship the only true God with true worship, such as he has ordained, not such as man has invented. What's the third commandment? That we shall not take the name of the Lord God in vain. What is it meant to take the name of the Lord God's name in vain? God himself and all good things of God, whereby he is known as a man by his name and his attributes, worship, word, and works. What is it to not take his name in vain, to make use of God and the good things of God, to his glory and to our own good, not vainly or irreverently, not unprofitably? What's the fourth commandment? 
to remember the day and keep the day Sabbath day holy. What is the meaning of this commandment that we should rest from labor and much more from play on the Lord's day and that we may draw nigh to God in holy duties? What is the fifth commandment? Honor your father and mother. Who are here meant your father and mother? All our superiors, whether in family, school, church, or commonwealth. What does it mean to honor them? Reverence and obedience. Recompense. What is the sixth commandment? You shall not murder. What is the meaning of this commandment? That we should not shorten the life or health of ourselves or others, but preserve both. What's the seventh commandment? You shall not commit adultery. What is the sin here forbidden? To defile ourselves or others with unclean lusts. What is the duty here commanded? Chastity to possess our vessels in holiness and honor. What is the eighth commandment? Thou shalt not steal. What is the stealth here forbidden? To take away another man's goods without his leave or to spend on our own without benefit to ourselves or others. What is the duty here commanded? To get our goods honestly and to keep them safely and spend them thriftily. What is the ninth commandment? That you shall not bear false witness. What is the sin here forbidden? To lie falsely, to think or speak untruly of ourselves or others. What is the duty here required? Truth and faithfulness. What is the tenth commandment? You shall not covet. What is covenanting here forbidden? Lust after things of other men and the want of contentment with our own. Whether have you kept all these commandments? No, I and all men are sinners. What are the wages of sin? Death and damnation. How then, then look you to be saved? Only by Jesus Christ. Who is Jesus Christ? The eternal Son of God, who for our sakes became man, that he may redeem and save us. How does Christ redeem and save us? By his righteous life and bitter death and glorious resurrection to life again. How do we have a part and fellowship with Christ in his death and resurrection? By the power of his word and his spirit, which brings us to him and keeps us in him. What is the word? The holy scriptures of the prophets, the apostles, and the Old and New Testament, the law of God. How doth the ministry of the law bring you towards Christ? By bringing me to know my sin and the wrath of God against me of it, in it. What are you hereby the nearer to Christ? So I come to feel my cursed estate and my need of a savior. How does the ministry of the gospel help you in this cursed estate? By humbling me yet more and then raising me out of this estate. How does the ministry of the gospel humble you? By revealing the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to dying in dying to save sinners, and yet convincing me of my sin in not believing on him, and of my utter insufficiency to come to him, and so I feel myself utterly lost. How does the ministry of the gospel raise you up out of this lost estate to come to Christ? By teaching me the value and virtue of the death of Christ, the riches of his grace to lost sinners, by revealing the promise of grace to, this, to such, and by ministering the spirit of grace to apply Christ and his promise of grace unto myself and to keep me in him. How does the spirit of grace apply Christ, his promise of grace to keep you in him? By begetting me in my faith to receive him, prayer to call upon him, repentance to mourn after him, and new obedience to serve him. What is faith? Faith is a grace by, of the spirit whereby I deny myself and believe on Christ for righteousness and salvation. What is prayer? It is calling upon God in the name of Christ by help of the Holy Spirit, according to the will of God. What is repentance? Repentance is a grace of the Spirit, whereby I loathe my sins and myself for them, and confess them before the Lord, and mourn after Christ for the pardon of them, and for grace to serve him in newness of life. What is newness of life or new obedience? 
Newness of life is a grace of the spirit whereby I forsake my former lust of vain company and walk before the Lord in the light of his word and in the communion of saints. What is the communion of saints? It is the fellowship of the church in the blessing of the covenant of grace and the seals thereof. What's the church? It is a congregation of saints joined together in the bond of his covenant to worship the Lord and to edify one another in all his holy ordinances. What is the bond of the covenant by which the church is joined together? It is the profession of that covenant which God has made by his faithful people to be a God unto them and to their seed. What does the Lord bind his people to in this covenant? To give up themselves and their children first to the Lord, to be his people, and then to the elders and brethren of the church, to set forward the worship of God and their mutual edification. How do they give themselves and their seed and their children to the Lord? By receiving through faith the Lord and his covenant to themselves and to their children, and accordingly walking themselves up and training up their children in the ways of the covenant. How do they give themselves and their children up to the, to the elders and brethren? By confessing of their sins and professing of their faith and of their subjection to the gospel of Christ. And so they and their seed, their children, are received into the fellowship of the church and the seals thereof. What are the seals of the covenant now in the days of the gospel? Baptism in the Lord's uh, Supper. What is done for, for you in baptism? In baptism, the washing with water is the sign and seal of my washing in the blood and the spirit of Christ. Whereby I... Um, and thereby of my engrafting into Christ, of the pardon and cleansing of my sins, of my raising up out of afflictions, and also of my resurrection from the dead at the last day. What is done for you in the Lord's Supper? In the Lord's Supper, the receiving of the bread broken and the wine poured out in a seal and sign of my receiving the communion of the body of Christ broken for me and of his blood shed for me and whereby of my growth in Christ and the pardon and healing of my sins and of the fellowship of the spirit and of my strengthening and quickening grace and of my sitting together with Christ on his throne and glory in the last judgment. What was the resurrection from the dead, which was sealed up for you in baptism? When Christ shall come in his last judgment and all they and all that are in their graves shall rise again, both just and unjust. What is the last judgment which is sealed up for you in the Lord's Supper? That the last at the last day we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of our works and receive our reward according to them. What is the reward that shall be given? The righteous shall be given life eternal and the wicked shall be cast into everlasting fire with the devil and the angels. Awake, arise. Behold, thou hast thy life a leaf, thy breath a blast. At night lie down, prepared to have thy sleep, thy death, thy bed, thy grave. That is from the New English Tutor, 1714, and I read the whole thing. It, it walks very deeply through salvation, through sin, through the death and the resurrection of Christ, and that was taught to children, the need to be holy, the need to be righteous. And that is so far removed from what we see today in schools. And so we look around and we say, how do we have a speaker that's like this? And how do we have a president like this? And how do we have all of this craziness happening? And then we, get, we dress our kids up, we box up their lunches, and we send them to a godless soulless institution and the people that come out of those godless soulless institutions who are not taught 
shame, who are not taught sin, who are not taught their need for a savior, who are not taught even the basic Ten Commandments. And then we wonder why they lie and why they cheat and why they steal, because you have to train up a child in the way that they will go. And when they were old, then they will not depart. And so when you teach, when you're sending these kids to these schools and, 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 and we have done a whole research on this, that sinners have infiltrated public schools to train us up. And I went to public school too, partly to train us up to live for the world, to live for the, the, the dollar, to live for the, for, for lust, to live for pleasure, to live against these 10 commandments. Uh, you have, uh, schools that are, um, transitioning children against their parents. You have parents who are fighting at these school board meetings for just to get bad, horrible books out of the library, much less to get them to be taught uh, the Ten Commandments. There is no such thing as separation of church and state, and there should be no such thing as government schools. There should be no such thing as godless government schools. You and I have every right to be taught what I just read to you every day. To be taught how to put our lusts in control. And what in public school, what they do and what they're doing at younger, younger ages is even, even in a sinful state, there are boundaries that we have as human beings and they're teaching kids to go, be, to, they're actually teaching kids the opposite, to go beyond those boundaries. Instead of keeping lusts under control, under the commandment of not committing adultery, they're telling children, don't you want to lust? Don't you want to sleep around? Don't you want to just fulfill yourself? Don't you want to just disobey your parents? Don't you just want to do these things? That is the training that's happening. And so to reverse all of that, we have to first go back and, and, and kind of reread these books and ask God to make it like we were trained the right way. Okay. Like, like you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You can teach human beings and adults a new way to live. That's righteous and holy. Um, mom, did you want to say something? Mom, she went outside. There was another thing that I wanted to read to you guys, and I hope that you're still with me. I don't know, maybe I'm just reading myself. Mom, maybe she'd come back. She's, she'd go outside. Mom, I have a mom. She lives here. <sighs> yeah, did you want to say something? Yeah. Here comes my mom. Sorry, 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 sorry. I'm doing laundry. Um, we're not defended and we're not beholden to anybody really for money because we have a farm, we have pigs, we have chickens. We grow a lot of our own food. We get um, some free food from our market for, to feed our pigs and stuff. So why isn't everybody else talking about this? They're dependent Upon on the, the economy. System. Like that's why we had slavery mm -hmm. for so long, why Thomas Jefferson and George Washington put in there 
um, slavery was against the law and the Declaration of Independence, mm -hmm. but everybody was dependent on the economy of slavery. Yeah. So a lot of your broadcasters are dependent on the money they get, the fiat dollars, and it's another mm -hmm. type of slavery. So they really can't speak out because people call them hypocrites and stuff. But we did the uh, silver squeeze last January, I think. Was it last year? Uh, no, two, two years. Two Januarys ago. Because the reason the um, family fathers were able to defeat the enemy, they knew the root of all evil was money. What you don't know and you're not taught in history is that the king of England made the silver small. And the gold, great, like it says in Amos 8. And the king of England would not let anybody in England use gold in America. They could use silver, but they couldn't use gold because he had done this tomfoolery with the gold and silver. And if you notice, the silver is real small right now, and the gold is great. The ratio is like 1 to 68. It should be like 1 to 15, mm -hmm. or 1 to 17 is what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. Uh, 1 to 17 on the amount of gold and silver in the coin. 1 to 15 is uh, the ratio of value of the gold and silver. I can't explain it. Anyways, so the best thing in, for to save yourself is to buy some silver. Because the silver is like giving away free right now. Right now, silver is giving away free. I mean, it's like nothing. It's right. like even at 27, let's say they tap something on it to like 36. And right, right. It's still almost like giving it away free. The money's worthless mm -hmm. anyways. Right. You're going to lose your money when they do the, the reset anyhow. Mm -hmm. You may as well put it in something of value. And we can destroy them just by buying up all the silver. We could. Because they're going to back everything by gold anyhow. Right. But we can, between each other, use gold. And, we can use, use silver, silver between each other. Yeah. Because silver is going to surpass the price of gold. Yeah. Because there's less silver than there is gold. Mm. The reason gold was more valuable because there's more gold than there was silver. I mean, less gold. Gold was hard to come by. Mm -hmm. But now because they've been making um, solar panels they've been making computers they've been making cell phones they all need silver for electricity the silver is running out it's right. limited resource that's why they want to go to space mm -hmm. hoping they can find some resources in space you can't continue on with the inventions of men right because the earth has limited resources mm -hmm. that's why they want to say there's aliens attacking us anything so people give in to going to space because they're going to run out of resources and they don't want to tell you that God created all you need, and all you need is replenishable. He said, eat the seed that has the seed in it. You build your house with wood. You cook with wood. All these things are replenishable. But when it comes to metals like cars and aluminum, these things have limits to them. Yeah. But I'm just saying why this is so important. The love of money is the root of all evil. Mm -hmm. And your evil men are always going to try and make silver really small. And go really big. And they're going to try and keep your perception changed. And that's why I always speak about Revelations chapter 6, 5 and 6. It tells you the value of silver, which is a day's wage, a dime, is equal to three bags of flour. And so you don't have this fake dollar in your mind. It poisons your mind and you go crazy. And that's why a lot of people do go insane. They really believe in this money. Right. 
I'm going to end with this, and I actually was going to end with something else, but I'll bring that another time. Again, I highly recommend you guys get this so you can know how our children were educated, how we were educated, how our founding fathers were educated, and if we can get back to that. George Washington wrote this prayer at the close of the Revolutionary War on June 14, 1783, and he sent it to the 13 governors of the newly freed states in a circular letter addressed to the governors of all the states on the disbanding of the army. I now make it my earnest prayer that God would have you and the state over which you preside in his holy protection, that he would incline the hearts of the citizens to cultivate a spirit of subordination and obedience to government, to entertain a brotherly affection and love for one another, for their fellow citizens of the United States at large, and particularly for brethren who have served in the field, and finally that he would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, and to demean ourselves with that charity, humility, and pacific pacific temper of mind which were the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion and without a humble imita imitation of whose example in these things we can never hope to be a happy nation and you can't just do it without god and you can't you do it without do god it right to glorify god right it, it, god's not with you you can't right. defeat your enemy if he's not with you so his blessing that george washington sent to all the states was that we would live in the example of Jesus Christ. And without that, without humbly intimidating Jesus, we can never hope to be a happy nation. Jesus was without sin. He was holy. He was righteous. And that word holy is a good word. Don't run away from it. Ask God to make you holy. Because when you are like him, he, you're, you're asking him to redeem you and to make you like he, he wanted you us to be in the garden. You're asking him to make you in his image. And then his blessings can come upon the nation. So let us pray. Father God, and that is, I know I had to end like that. Let us pray. God, I just thank you so much for the people who are watching right now who made it to the end. May <laughs> you sorely bless them. I pray that you would um, make them holy and make them righteous. And for those who made it through to the end, I'm sure that that they um, they are trying to be holy and they are trying to be righteous. And many of them, I would say, if, if they're listening right now, they need to know that there's no condemnation, that you have forgiven them, that you have made them righteous, that you have made them holy, that they are saints and not sinners. I pray for those out there who haven't heard the message of the word and the gospel, that your Holy Spirit would move upon the hearts and the minds of the men, of men and women and children out there, that they would see themselves by the power of the Holy Spirit as sinners who need you who need to be saved, who need to walk in that salvation, and that they would humbly implore your forgiveness and blessing. And I pray for a revival of holiness and righteousness and that each individual person who is made in your image would have a, have a moment and a move of God in their lives because every single person is different. Every single person has had a different set of circumstances in their lives and, and no one group of people can be lumped into, um, whether it's Muslims or Catholics or Mormons, into one group. We're all different. 
And only you can judge the hearts and the minds of the men's individually. And that is the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray for revivals to pop up and camp meetings to pop up all over this nation where people corporately get together and, and the gospel, the real gospels preached like we just read about in these, the, this second great awakening and people are on their knees and they see the need for their savior and they fall humbly before you and they come up laughing and full of joy because they saw themselves as a sinner and they saw themselves as broken. They saw themselves for who they were and they came up and they didn't have lust or perversion or desires to lie or cheat or steal. And all they wanted to do was serve you and find the calling that you had for them. And I pray father God for a blessing to come upon this nation that the fruit of our fields would be blessed. The fruit of our wombs would be blessed, that marriages would be blessed, that, that families would be blessed and, 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 and families would have a joyful time where husbands would love their wives and wives would love their husbands and children would love their parents and parents would love their children and grandparents would love their grandchildren and aunts and uncles and families would continue to grow and, and these families would be blessed and they would work together to do those things which are honorable. And I pray, Father God, for professions and, and work that is honoring to our bodies, honoring to you, honoring to our fellow mankind, that we would never look to another person to try to extract labor from them or, or monetary gain from another human being. But if we are to work, it's because we want to add something to somebody else. We want to trade what we have done with something that someone else has done. And we would want to be equal in our trade that we would want to prefer one another and you would bless us in preferring one another. You would bless us in not seeking wealth or power or money, but seeking blessings from heaven so that we would have full bellies and a safe place to put our head at night and a warm house to keep us, to keep us uh, out of the elements, having food and clothing. Let us be content. Let us be giving. Let us be kind. Let us be like the good Samaritan. May we be able to put others first and prefer one another because it is the opposite of what we as human beings want to do, but in that we would be blessed with a joy unspeakable and full of glory. It is so much better to give than to receive so much that you gave your only begotten son that who would ever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. May we be like the rich young ruler. May we give what we need to give to you or to others. And may we sell all that we have if we need to and follow you knowing that if we give up land or lives or fortunes or whatever in this life, that we would Will receive those things back 30, 60, 100 fold in this world, knowing that all good things come from you. For you are the Father of lights. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. May you give us the work and labor to do with our hands. May we work and labor that which is good and honorable and right. May we build houses and barns. May we take care of animals. May we take care of one another. Just as, as we're having an egg shortage right now. May everybody recognize keeping chickens is a good thing. And that this egg shortage is a blessing in disguise. Because millions of people are going to say, you know what? I think I'm going to keep me some chickens right now. And may you bless them and show them how to keep their chickens. Show them how to keep animals. Show them how to grow food. Show them how to preserve food. And may we do so joyfully. May we make clothes. May we do those things that, those old-fashioned, those old-school things that actually, whether it's knitting sweaters or making or turning wool into, into, in, into yarn. A lot of those things are, are, are joyful pursuits not to be done in factories for pennies a day. May we never 
try to twist our bread out of, out of another man's work or another man's sweat of another man's brow. May we treat each other honorably. Two commandments. To love the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. To treat each other as we would want to be treated. Treat each other as we would want to be treated. Do you want to be lied to? Do you want to be cheated? Do you want somebody to take advantage of you? Do you want somebody to trick you? No. That's the gospel. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't try to trick people for money. Don't try to just be rich. Mark those who would be rich. Tell them that they have to be giving and kind to communicate to everybody around them. That you have no right to live in a million dollar mansion while other people are hungering around you. You have no right to store up for yourselves giant treasures. I'm not going to come and take them from you. But I pray the Holy Spirit convicts you because if I, if I had a ton of money, I would give, I would give, and I do give. I give what I can. May everyone find their level. May everyone find equality. Communism tries to create Christianity by force. Christianity creates true equality by love. Christianity treat, creates true equality by love where we honor one another, where we lift one another up, where we help our brothers and sisters. Where we, if somebody's barn burns down, we help them build another one. If somebody's lazy, then, then they're stuck in that too. I thank you, Jesus, for all that you're doing. I pray for healing, healing of our bodies and our minds and our spirits. I pray for protection. I pray for your angels to surround us all, to go before us, to go behind us. I pray that we would hear your voice talking to us every single second of every single day. I pray a blessing over everybody who supports here at Resistance Chicks, that you would bless them. Knowing that their gifts help keep us doing what we're called to do. And may you bless them coming in and bless them coming out. I thank you for this all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I love you guys. Kind of weird um, that I didn't read any comments. So I know that you're commenting. I know that I hopefully this was good. I'll try to read the comments back. Um, I'm glad that you guys are here, kind of having a mini revival. And I, and I think we're going to have some more of those. And again, we're praying for Diamond and Silk's family. They're one of us. They're gonna, but they're not gone. She's not gone. Just know that. She's with Jesus, and Jesus is in us. So we're still part of the body of Christ together. So let's celebrate the life and what she lived. We love you guys. God loves you. God bless. I'm going to put an ending on here. June ending. Every day, so afraid, but you call my name.